I think as leaders and communicators and entrepreneurs, the biggest thing we have to do is understand very clearly what people might try to cling to in the past and make a really clear moment of demarcation to say, those days are done. Let's mourn the loss of what used to be so we can move into what could be. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible, exciting guest lined up for you today. She is a repeat guest, and she is one of my all-time favorite guests. I have what I call an intellectual crush on this lady because she's one of the smartest people in the business world today. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Nancy Duarte. Welcome to the show, Nancy. <laughs> well, it's good to know you have an intellectual crush on me. You know, the, the internet thinks I'm 70 years old. So I was getting comments from podcasters like, man, you look great. You look really young. <laughs> and then I found out the internet thinks I'm 70. So, so much makes sense now, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. So Nancy, you know, I had the privilege of interviewing you uh, a few years ago when I, when, I, when I had a podcast host, Michael Palmer, with me. And I really loved that episode because I learned so much from it. And I know a little bit about your story, but not all of my listeners know your story. And my listener is, is an entrepreneur, is a business person. And the reason they listen to this podcast is they want to be inspired by you. They are, in my opinion, like every entrepreneur, society's greatest heroes and society's greatest sheroes. And they're there to take their dream and against all odds, make it come alive. And for them to do that, they need a lot of help. And part of why we do this, this show is to give them that help. And for them to be able to truly open up their listening to you, they need to fall in love with your story. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Nancy Duarte? <laughs> well, I love, you know, every every entrepreneur should have a some sort of an origin story. And if you didn't start the business, you need to have some sort of a calling story. Like, why do I get up out of bed and have all this passion and love for this thing I do? And I think mine actually started from a void. Yeah, I went to, um, I was raised in an economically and emotionally starved environment and went to one year of college and actually got a C minus in my speech communication course, which is awesome because now I write books in English about speech communication courses because I got a D in English also. Wow. And so I did what any bright young girl does is I dropped out of college and got married at 18 and just felt like I'd failed. Just really felt like I'd failed. And when we moved to the Silicon Valley when I was about 20, I guess I was 27, I just did what scrappy, moxie, bootstrappy, and just read everything. I read every issue of HBR. I read every single strategy book, everything Drucker read, wrote, I mean, and just everything. I just read everything. And as a lifelong learner, that's what you have to do. So I would show up in these offices of CEOs in the Silicon Valley 
you know, more well-read, more street smart, more scrappy. And they gave me permission to put the words in their mouths. None of them asked me if I, they just assumed I had an MBA from Stanford or Berkeley or one of the local universities. And, you know, and then later I kind of owned it and was like, hey, I'm cool. Steve Jobs doesn't have a degree and neither does Bill Gates. <laughs> you there know? you go. Just kind of owned it. Yeah. And people were a bit shocked. And then one of my customers, Cisco, paid for me to get my MBA at UCLA, talked him into counting all of my years as a successful entrepreneur as my undergrad. And that really touched me. So I think just being scrappy and smart and um, just staying on top of your game. I mean, the minute the minute you're not is when you start to go into a state, your organization goes into a state of decay. So you got to take care of yourself. Keep that moxie and curiosity peaked, heightened. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, one of the things that I really love about what you do is you are probably the world's leading thought leader when it comes to using the power of visual story to really help people get their message across in business. And you've worked with some of the most iconic brands in the world, right? You've worked with Apple, you've worked with Cisco, Adobe, Citrix, Facebook, you name it. So how did you get their attention? How how were you a product of your own product, if you will, to get these people to go, yeah, we need this lady? Yeah, you know, it, you know, when we first started, it was 32 years ago, and presentation tools were so ugly. I mean, just the default was so ugly. You needed a ha- an anvil and a hammer, a sledgehammer to make them look decent. And so we got niched pretty quickly in presentations, which is a visual storytelling tool. And once the tools by default got more attractive, you know, I realized that this kind of cleanup stuff could be outsourced just about anywhere. So I took a trip to India and actually just met with a bunch of agencies out there to try to see what would happen if my own business got outsourced. So it's one of those things where uh, entrepreneurs, once you've been in business longer, what the U.S. Bureau of Statistics says most small businesses only last four years. And that's about been the reinvention cycle of my own firm. Every four years, I've had to either reposition ourselves or more deeply position ourselves or pivot to story, like those kinds of things. And every time we've ever done that, that's what's kept my organization going. So once the um, once I realized that you know, tidying up slides and making them cinematic and beautiful was kind of an empty promise. We really needed to own the story. You could have it be as attractive as you can, but if there's no content and depth to what you're saying, it didn't really matter. And so that was when we went deep, deep, deep and looked at it's the structures, the narratives, and how you can wrap business communications in the form of a story. And that was really when the business just really took off and, and people were eager to have us help them put words in their mouths where we could take their basic clay, if you want to call it a sculpting exercise, we can take what you know you need to say and we shape it and reshape it and add stronger metaphors, add stronger analogies, help you curate beautiful stories to tell um, in the middle of your talk. And it's just been, I mean, to your point, I don't know, sometimes I wake up every day and pinch myself (laughs) that we get to work with the caliber of people that we get to work with. It's just humbling and an honor. Really, really powerful people. (laughs) Kind of cracks me up actually, because it's, it's just one of those stories where it's like, it doesn't matchy match. You know, you, you, you wouldn't, until I started to talk about my story, it's one of resilience and one of overcoming and one of a quest for empathy. Um, and it's been a lifelong quest. And so 
the fact that it opened doors is also just completely um, humbling, really humbling. That's, I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say. It's, uh, and being a, a talk show host on a podcast, that's not the greatest position to be in, but you speak so beautifully and you convey your ideas in such a, such a compelling fashion. I, I love listening to you, to what you have to say here. So tell me a little bit about some of the first success stories that you managed to create for some of your clients. How did you do it? What, what was it that worked about how you positioned those stories on their behalf to help them get attention of their ideal clients? Yeah, that's a really great question. And we started actually as technical illustrators and there was about a three-year season where, you know, real graphic designers and real statisticians thought these personal were a joke. And so, you know, when I first picked up the phone in one afternoon, we won Apple, Tandem, and NASA simply based on f- how I framed it. And you got to, way back in the olden days, back when you were just a wee pup, <laughs> you used to make um, bar charts. You used to make charts out of black electrical tape and an X-Acto knife. I mean, you rub on letters. I mean, it's very labor intensive. So, you know, I had this kind of disruptive digital upstart kind of like, we can make your plot your charts digitally and hand you a diskette. <laughs> they were like, what? So that was how we framed it then. And, you know, I, I think I, I got some calluses uh, from working with execs. And, and back in the day, I mean, you know, a lot of the CEOs I worked with, I would say were uh, verbally uh, commanding and demanding. And I think most people would have been a shrinking violet. And I think it's just because I can't where I came from. So you picture, you know, execs coming in and just launching into you and start screaming at you. And this one person I was hired where they were like, well, just don't get your heart set because they, he's fired every single slide lady that he's ever had. And that was like fighting terms for me. I'm like, well, you ain't going to fire me. Like, I was just like, no way am I going to get fired. And I just remember being in these, you know, meetings where, you, you know, they put you down, cut you down. And, and, and finally, I didn't say that. I never said that. And then finally I'm like, I should take these meetings or whatever. And it just got tougher and tougher and tougher. And once I overcame that one, um, exec, I felt like I could, I could, I could deal with anybody. I could just deal with anybody. And it was, I, I can't say I was ever treated weird for being a female by any means because I was always the outside consultant coming in, but I definitely was just treated the way executives treat people and it was hard. And yeah, I would come home and cry, but I never cried in front of the client and and just bucked it up, you know, rewrote it again, re-revved it again, doing my best. And, uh, one of the things I learned is when you're working with execs, you got to give them three, four, five choices sometimes. Like sometimes they weren't clear. So you, you got to kind of say, I thought this is what you heard, but maybe you said these other three things here too, because everyone was too scared to ask you a clarifying question <laughs> or whatever. And so I just think we've learned to adapt and understand the brain and, and desires of of um, how executives think um, and, and the burden of leadership. My book, Illuminate, I spent a lot of time walking in the shoes of, of leaders that lead at scale, driving really big movements. And then what is the story pattern there when you're, when you're a leader and moving people in mass, like in the millions? How do you move people in mass in, in, in the millions? And I think a lot of that was learned from you know, sitting in a chair across from people and just studying them, just studying how they behave and how they show up. 
You know, I'm fascinated with the study of leadership uh, as well. I, I, I read a lot of biographies, and in particular, um, I read a lot of biography of political and military leaders. And um, I'm, I'm just leafing through your book, Resonate, and, and it, I just opened it up to page 176, where you talk about value brevity. And you've got uh, a little um, uh, piece here on the Gettysburg Address. And I love how you set this up, that this was 278 words, and it was delivered in just over two minutes, right? It's one of the shortest speeches in history, but it's also one of the greatest. And there's no photos of Lincoln actually doing the speech because by the time the photographer set up, because back then they'd need to take the time to set up, he was done already, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually a eulogy. The Gettysburg Address is a eulogy. And back then they did the full form Aristotelian eulogy and they were usually a couple hours long. And so they were like, they just thought they had all day to take a picture or at least a couple hours. Yeah, so there's no pictures of him delivering it because it was so short and tight um, and powerful. It is one of the most powerful addresses and the construct of it is what I feature in the book. And it's really, um, really beautifully done. It is. You, you break it up into three sections. What is, what could be, and a new bliss. And the call to action you have over there is that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. And the last line to me, I think, is one of the, the greatest, if not the greatest, political uh, lines ever spoken by a political leader, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that the government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. Man, I get Love goosebumps that. just reading that, you know. And yeah. It's beautiful. And, and, and you, you talk about Woodrow Wilson, who said that if I am to speak for 10 minutes, I need a week to prepare. 15 minutes, I need three days. If half an hour, two days. If an hour, I'm ready right now. <laughs> I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. We love to hear ourselves talk, right? And it's it, it, the concision, like being concise, just isn't really part of what people do. And I think crafting words too. I think the more we can spend a little time empathetically thinking of who we're talking to, and just spend a little bit of time thinking through some word choices, I just think it adds a lot of traction to situations that could have friction. So yeah, that's I love I loved writing that book. Yeah, there's a lot of insights in that one. No, it's 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 fantastic, you know. Uh, and 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 I think about think about Steve Jobs when he introduced the iPhone, right? That that's got to be one of the most iconic business presentations in history, right? He he got up there and he he delivered. Talk, talk a bit about that because I'm I I, I I believe you know a thing or two about that. Yeah, what's interesting is once I studied story and looked for patterns, I knew that the greatest communicators created a rise and fall of tension. It was like it, something like I actually have a book called The 100 Greatest Speeches of All Times. And I spent a lot of time studying Dr. King's speech, figuring that if I could figure out what was the cadence in his speech, I might be able to find a pattern and then see if other great communicators did it. And I thought, well, if I could get it to work for Dr. King and get it to work for Steve Jobs, then it might be true that this pattern they used, not get it to work, but could I uncover this pattern? And so, yeah, He's a great communicator. I don't feel like anybody has really filled the void of him being the finest business communicator to date. And what he did is he used 
leveraged the gap between what is and what could be really, really well as a structural device. More importantly, when you communicate really well, people will get an involuntary physical reaction. Like it happens to you at the movie. You laugh, you cry, you scream, you on your spine. Those are involuntary reactions to a story being told. And Steve Jobs did the slapping in 20 to 30 second increments all through that talk, which means that's that's a lot of physical reaction for a night during 90 minutes. So he, he was very magical at that kind of cathartic setup and release and setup and release um, in a way like really no other human has ever done. So I guess everyone that's listening to this can take the challenge. I'll throw down the gauntlet and challenge anyone that's listening to this to become the next Steve Jobs because <laughs> there's an opening. It's just that clearly he was just heads above the rest in uh, how he communicated. He really was. He, he, he was. he was incredible. And Apple just does stories so, so well. Better than anybody, I think, right now in business. I'm, I, I'm, I, I use Apple's products, but I'm also a grateful stockholder, right? <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> it's been really good for the last little while for me. You know, I, I purchased their yeah. stock, I think, back yeah. in 2014, 2015. It's done, it's done wonderfully well. <laughs> yeah, you could live off of that probably. Well, you know, uh, it's uh, I'm, I'm not sure I could quite live off of it, but it's it's a it's a it's a comfortable it's a comfortable uh, it's a comfortable investment. Let's just leave it at that. It's a beautiful thing. So, <laughs> Nancy, right now the world has changed. We're living in the time of the post-pandemic, and um, business it, it's changed maybe maybe forever right we've got uh yeah. we've got uh, masks that people have to wear we've got uh, a situation where people are unsure what back to school looks like a lot of businesses aren't doing well some have gone out of business entirely some are doing extremely well but they're nervous about whether it can last you know i'd love to hear from you what you believe businesses can do using the principles that you teach at Duarte Communications to help them remain relevant for solving the problems that they solve on behalf of their clients? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. And one of the things that I was just in a discussion with um, some super crazy, awesome thought leaders last night about how it is society and business going to emerge because people keep saying, I just want it to go back to normal. I just want to, I want to go back to normal. And it's like, mm, don't know if we can ever go back there um, because too much has changed and too much has shifted. So w what we need to do, which I covered with uh, Patty Sanchez in the book Illuminate is for a new beginning to happen, it means you have to let go of something from the past or you won't be able to move on. It's part of the rites of passage. It's part of story, right? Where you have to leave what used to be ordinary and go into a new world and a special world. And so I think as leaders and communicators and entrepreneurs, the biggest thing we have to do is understand very clearly what people might try to cling to in the past and make a really clear moment of demarcation to say, those days are done. Let's mourn the loss of what used to be so we can move into what could be. And there is definitely this sense of uh, a moment in time where 
everything will be different. And I think employees, customers, and any stakeholders are longing to hear that from their team. They're wanting someone to rise up and be confident and calm and uh, secure in their strategy and and all of that. And I, I think that for some leaders, this has been their finest hour. And for others, hmm. uh, they didn't communicate well enough because right now you got to communicate, communicate, communicate. Look in the camera. I do, I do, I ever could Zoom videos now, like 10, 12 minutes long. So people can see my facial expression. They can see what I'm feeling. They won't read between the lines of an email. And I've been communicating at a, at a more um, increased cadence with my own my own team and, and sharing them everything, everything I know, you know, this is what I'm looking at. These are the numbers I'm looking at. I'm making these numbers public to my employees. And, and so you could watch what I'm watching and try to help me figure out what conclusions to draw from them. And it's just been a really fascinating time where I feel like my team and company is more bonded um, and more committed to the new strategy because they can see how we've stayed committed to it. So a lot of people will say, oh, I had a vision, but I have to change my vision. And in my case, our vision was and is true. And we had to make a recommitment to the same vision and say, nope. And you know what? We're going to do the same vision in five years. We don't get a bonus year for COVID. We're still committed to this vision. It's like that moment in Apollo 13 where they had to kind of rebuild an entire part up there yep. just so they could make it home. And it's like, that's kind of where we're at in this. Like we, we rebuilt the part and we're, we've swung around the moon and we're headed to home. And so giving orienting devices like that, like I, I literally did a presentation a week ago where, where they did the gravity of the moon swung them back around and they didn't have to turn their engines on other than to do a little bit of course correction on the way back to earth. And so I was like, you know what? We we did it. We did it. We're swinging around the moon. And those kinds of orienting devices are really important for the people that are traveling with you in this journey called post-COVID, you know, the new, the new version of companies and society and ourselves after COVID. Yeah, 100%. You know, it, this my business uh, centered around doing live events. We did live events that were experiences and people wow. would come to those events and we would give them an incredible experience. So I, I work with my better half, Teresa. She's a lovely lady and she is uh, incredible at creating wow for people. So people would get fed beautiful, healthy, organic food. They, there'd be music there. There'd be books <laughs> at every break, gifts given to them. You know, we'd, we'd get them up and have them dance and move their bodies. We'd have speakers come and speak for us. Some would be live, some would be over Zoom. But we had people like Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI. And we had the... Um, the entrepreneur who created 1-800-GOT-JUNK uh, out of Vancouver and turned it into a multi-billion dollar business. We had all kinds of amazing people come do stuff for us. And at these live experiences, people would come and because of what they experienced over there and the results we showed other clients were getting, we would sell them a pretty high ticket program, you know, $50,000, $60,000, right? And they'd buy. We had a really high sign-up rate. Doesn't translate so well on Zoom. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't. We can make our Zoom as good as we want. You know, the high energy uh, presentations. We had our, our speakers do everything by Zoom, but we just couldn't recreate the live experience. So we had to start thinking about, okay, so if it's not going to be about the live experience, what is it that we really need to focus on? And I started to think about that. And I've been thinking, well, why do I do what I do? Like, what's my why? My why is 
I do what I do because I believe in the beauty and the majesty of the entrepreneur and his and her dreams. And I want to help them make those dreams come true. And the main reason they come to me is because they feel stuck. They are procrastinating for some reason or another. And so if in one word you were to say, what's the problem Nikki solves? I solve the problem of procrastinating. I do what Martin Luther King calls the fierce urgency of now. And I help people get to that fierce urgency of now. It is a wonderful, wonderful line. Better than anybody I know in business. You know, if you're ever stuck and you need a kick in the butt, I'm your guy. (laughs) I'm your guy. Don't call anybody else. Call me. I'll get it done for you. Right? And when I got to that point, and and I I have a a mentor uh, uh, and a coach. His name's Mark, Mark Von Muser. I should send you one of the interviews I did on the show with him. He's an incredible guy. He combines the energy of Jesus Christ and the Navy SEAL together, right? He's a loving guy, but he's really kick butt and he makes it all happen. And Mark said to me, Nikki, you know what? This COVID thing, you need to do something to get yourself out of the funk because you're not able to do what you normally do. And I go, yeah, you're right. So I said, you know what? I'll do something physical. So I, there's a thought leader I follow. His name's David Goggins. I don't know if you know who he is. Um, but David uh, wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me. He's a, uh, a, a former Navy SEAL and uh, African-American guy. You know, and he does these crazy, crazy fitness things. Like he runs 140 mile races, you know, sets world records in them. He was 300 pounds and he made a decision that he was, uh, you know, a fat, you know what, and he didn't want to be that anymore. He went to the Navy SEAL office and they said, you got to drop 100 pounds in three months for us to take you into our intake program. And he did it. And I said, okay, let me see what Goggins would do. So there was this thing on, on YouTube where, uh, this guy and Goggins were doing 20,000 reps of push-ups, sit-ups, uh, squats, and chin-ups. So I thought, I'll do 10,000 push-ups in a month. So that's 350 push-ups a day. I could do between 20 and 40 push-ups at a time. Within 15 minutes, I was done. I did it. On day 28, I did 10,180 push-ups. Challenge one done. Challenge two was my business was not doing so hot, Nancy. So I thought, you know what? I want to generate at least 30 grand in profit in the next 30 days because I hadn't done that since COVID, right? Before COVID, no problem. Post-COVID, not happening. So I set that up as a challenge and my mentor said, bring your clients along with you and sign up a few more clients. So I did. 11 of us did the challenge. Four of them got $30,000 or more that month in profit. Another one got 20000 The rest at least were in action. I did 76000 in profit in a month, which was wonderful. Best I'd done by like four times better than the best I'd done post-COVID previous to that. And so I said, okay, this is working. The next thing is I'm going to do another challenge. And I have a billion-dollar Rolodex. I know incredible people like Nancy Duarte, Ken Blanchard, you know, Marie Forleo, blah, blah, blah. So I just called up some people and I said – I'm going to throw open my billion-dollar Rolodex to you. Tell me an area of your life where you need help, personal, fitness, relationship, whatever. I probably know someone who can help you. Tell me what it is, and I'll look into my Rolodex, and I'll introduce you to somebody. I've started to do that three days ago. I've already introduced 10 people. Six of them have said, what can I do for you? And I didn't ask any of them to, for reciprocation. And I've gotten two sales opportunities because of offering to help 100 people in the next 30 days. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations on your success. Why, thank you. Why, thank you. But at the end of the day, this is, it's not about me. It's to prove a point that if, if 
someone challenges themselves and they create a new story and they tell their story of of how they help and who they help and and why they do all that, that's a beautiful thing. And that's why I was so excited to have you on the show because I believe you do that better than anybody on the planet. (laughs) Well, thanks. (laughs) I don't know. You know, life's a journey, right? I think I've, I've, I have done it really well. Our goal, I mean, similar to you, our our awe-inspiring goal is that we really want to change millions of lives into better communicators because it'll solve a lot of the world's biggest problems. And and what happened is I did the math. Like we'd had that as our vision for like three years, four years. And then finally I was like, well, how much would it cost in training to transform someone through a workshop with the accountability? It's like probably 800,000 bucks or so. Then I was like, well, if we're going to do a million, we need to be like a $700 million company. Like it started to dawn on us, like, how are we going to keep this promise if we don't set our financial vision higher? And so that's kind of like where we're headed now. We're like, let's just go and be a $100 million company. And and then we can say that we've changed a million a million lives, right? Possibly. But it's fun. I, I mean, if, when you have a cause or meaning and, and there's a reason why you're doing it, I don't, I'm not like a money grabber. Money isn't like my motivator. It's transformation that's a motivator for me. Um, and if I get to make people that work for me money along the way, then that's a plus, you know, that what a plus just really um, turns it into a big blessing. See, that's the essence of what I call heart leadership. I was sitting in a uh, mastermind with Robin Sharma, which he used to do called the Titan Summit. And he was leading us through an exercise. And it, it just hit me in there that there's one level deeper than being a thought leader. A thought leader is being someone who's known for knowing something and, and, and transforming a particular space. And it's a wonderful thing to be a thought leader. But a heart leader is being known as a thought leader who leads from their heart, mm-hmm. who cares about mm-hmm. making a difference for their fellow man and their fellow woman first. And to me, Nancy, what you just said about why you do what you do is the essence of heart leadership. Yeah, I think so. It wouldn't have meaning in it if it didn't come from the heart, right? So No, it wouldn't. So there you go. We got to put that next to your title too. Nancy Duarte, heart leader. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I love it. So, Nancy, talk to me about what does the future look like for you and for Duarte Communications? Where are you looking to take your vision in the next several years? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Like one of the things that we'd announced in January, every January we announce our vision. We actually have an all-company meeting on Martin Luther King Day. So we ask everyone to work on that day and then we give them their own birthdays off. So because they don't get to celebrate his, we let them celebrate his birthday on your own birthday and we do a vision meeting. And one part of the vision was that I wanted to wire in the DNA of who we are today so that it lasts the next hundred years. Like it dawned on me, like, what's the first name of McKinsey? What's the first name of Deloitte? What's the first name of Gartner? Like all these brands that have or of someone's name, people don't necessarily know. Like, and I was like, in a hundred years, I would love it to just be a, a place where there's communication theorists who train the world in how to be a communication company through, through subscription, through like whatever means that is. 
And because it dawned on me, I, I don't want to be a central figure in a brand. I want the brand to take on its own meaning and be life-giving for the long haul. And so that's part of what we're doing, which meant I had to reshape the company. We started as a service business and I'm having to make it be three quarters product business, one quarter service business. So believe it or not, in every downturn, I've made very counterintuitive moves. And in this downturn, I I made my uh, service business smaller and then we're going to keep it small. Like we're going to actually say no and create a long line of people out the door who want to work with us and us just be super choosy. And we'll only choose clients that are solving really important communication problems so that we could publish out how you too can solve a communication problem like this. So if we're solving it, for the highest performing brands and biggest names and CEOs in the world, then I think the everyday person can learn from that because they're doing it at scale and in mass and to the tunes of millions of people. And if I brought that down to a, a project manager that works at the company of some of the people listening to your podcast, it brings it down to earth and it takes these very, very big problem solving skills and brings it down to the individual contributor level. And that's what we want to do is keep solving just really big problems and codifying it into training. And the team's pretty fired up about it. It's pretty exciting. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. So, Nancy, your team, I'm imagining, is composed of a lot of thought leaders and heart leaders uh, as well. You are kind of the leading thought leader in the in the firm but i'm imagining that you must have a lot of people who do a lot of their own independent thinking and and add and contribute to the thinking in the field and to the thinking of what you guys want to do can you share with me a little bit about that yeah I think that's a fantastic question. Nobody's ever asked me that. So that is part of what we have to do is diversify off myself as a central figure. So we have a phrase, everyone knows it, it's Dwarshans Publish. We call ourselves Dwarshans. <laughs> so Dwarshans Publish, right? And so oddly, I just launched, I just loaded a video on my LinkedIn profile where one of my gals, just she just looked looked in the camera and taught everyone how to practice your expressions for remote presenting or whatever. So everyone is writing articles, uh, they're writing courseware, they're writing three-minute tips, they're they're publishers. And so it doesn't necessarily mean uh, client-facing or public-facing stuff. If you're not doing public-facing, you need to be publishing processes that are repeatable, ways of working that that you could broadcast out a best practice. You can, you know, so we're just doing a lot of sharing and publishing. It's been going on for a few years and now it's really become a muscle. It, it wasn't easy at first and um, I have no skin in the game. As, I'm not jealous or I'm, I, I don't, you know, I look at something and go, ah, they wrote that so well. They wrote it better than I even would have, you know, and I'm cheering That's them awesome. on. You can't be proud. You can't be jealous. You have to put your seed you know, land in other Petri dishes and be happy with what blooms in the other dishes that are around you. And so it's a huge, huge part of our strategy. So Dwarshans Publish, everyone knows that and they know that that's the mechanism that's going to drive us to the future. I love that phrase, Dwarshans Publish. That's good. It's really, really Mm -hmm. good. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you bet. That's really good. Okay, so you've got a vision for the future. You've got a a team of thought leaders, of Dwarshans and heart leaders who are out there creating their own 
independent intellectual property, which is part of what you guys are doing through Duarte Communications, but they're doing the thinking around it, which I think just makes you a deeper, stronger company who can do more for people. So I'd like you to share with us and with my listener, what do you feel companies today, big or small, really need to focus on in order to be the best communicators they can be out there so they can tell their story in a way that it resonates with the person they want it to resonate with? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question. So I think if if the listeners could picture in their mind's eye a Venn diagram with three overlapping circles, and basically that is story and one of the circles is visuals, and the third is delivery. And those three circles overlap, and in the center is empathy. That's the model that we operate by and live by at Duarte. So the first thing you do is you look in the middle, and you have to empathetically think about what is the story the audience would resonate how would the visuals resonate and how would my delivery resonate with those people? So, so many times we approach our corporate narrative or our own all hands meeting or whatever we're working on and we processes it from, oh my gosh, I have to communicate A, B, C, D, and E. I have to get that message out. And we're so caught up in having to present, being nervous and all those things that we turn ourselves into the central figure of the person in the room. And in reality, you're not the central figure because if you put an idea out there and everyone in the audience rejects it, your idea dies. So you have to, have to, have to, have to have the gateway from my heart to your heart be empathy or nothing will happen. Like the world will never change or organization will never grow. People will not adopt your vision. People will not understand your data. People will not go along with you on your initiative. Like all of those things won't happen if you're not connected empathetically with who you're communicating with. So that would be what I would say. You need a strategy around those three things with the very core of everything you do coming from a place of empathy. So it's a Venn diagram, story, visuals, delivery with empathy being at the core where they all intersect. I love it. I I, I drew that as you were explaining that. I think that's really, really good. I love Venn diagrams. I use them in a bunch of the models we create for people around thought leadership. Awesome. 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 It really is. So, you know, Maya Angelou said it best, right? She said, people may not remember what you said. People may not remember what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that's at the center, at the core of what you're talking about here, right? Yeah. Yep. It's exactly right. I mean, there's a lot that can be done through, you know, analytical thinking, but the minute somebody feels something, it kind of short circuits all your systems. Your sensing self will kind of trump your logical self when uh, making decisions. And I'm not saying, I mean, hear me out. It's not to manipulate. It's not to get your way. It's not a get rich quick thing. I mean, messing with the human heart and psyche isn't, you don't, you just don't mess around with that. And my hope is that anyone listening to this is in service of human flourishing, like what we were talking about, right? And I I remember when I wrote Resonate and I actually could see the picture of this structure that the greatest presenters used. First thing I did was like, I did, I whipped out Hitler's speech and a Goebbels speech, which was Hitler's uh, media director. And they followed the form almost perfectly. And I thought, I remember falling on my knees and crying, feeling like the weight of the responsibility of this that could be used for good or it could be used for evil was overwhelming for me. And I just thought, you know, I almost, I was tempted to not even publish it 
Um, but I thought, you know, I've got to believe there's more good people uh, than bad ones in the world. And so, yeah, that became um, the genesis for the book Resonate. And you really, 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 I do think most people want human flourishing and not the opposite. And so I think if that's the lens under which you listen to what I'm talking about, because when you talk about influence, you know, you, you are hoping people are influencing to increase the quality of humankind. So that. I don't know why that sounded a little bit more like a sermon than a <laughs> than an insight. It's true. But, um, I really believe it. Yeah, it's true. Look, I I come from the Middle East. I come from Iran, and uh, I am a Christian from Iran. And when the uh, Islamic Revolution happened, it became very tough for folks like myself. Uh, my parents decided to uh, move to the West, and I am forever grateful to my mom and my dad, especially. Uh, he had the vision to do that. And uh, I, I lived in a country where uh, these principles were used in a way to lie to the people, you know. And it was obvious. Everyone knew they were being lied to. <laughs> I mean, no one trusted anything that was coming out of their mouths. And we came to the West here. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you it doesn't happen here because it absolutely does, but not, not nearly at the same level. And at least for now, wow. we still have the freedom yeah. to be able to voice uh, you know, our, uh, our yeah. disagreements with other points of view. And I think freedom, of, yeah. I think freedom mm-hmm. of speech is very important. It's the thing we've got to all fight for. I, it, yeah. It's very important that I we agree. always have the right to, to disagree with somebody and to not demonize because that's what they did in, in Nazi Germany and in Stalinist Russia and in, you know, in uh, fascist Italy and all the other countries under tyranny is they start to say that point of view is illegitimate. It's wrong. It's bad. And you can't do that. You can disagree with that point of view. But if you start to make it illegitimate and wrong, those are stormtrooper tactics. Those are Stalin's tactics. That's what they did in Russia uh, after the, the Soviets took over in 1917. And they, they, they started to exterminate all opposing views. And we can never allow that to happen here. Ever, ever, ever. We've always it's got to stand times. for freedom. The amount of people. Yeah. It is scary times. There's a lot of people that won't speak up. I mean, even being, um, even telling, you know, some of your backstory. I have a couple of people, uh, friends that share a similar backstory and the amount of people that are silenced and not speaking up. I'm in all these different groups, right? And I went on a walk with a friend and, and we were way aligned, but neither of us would ever feel comfortable speaking up today. Um, so there's definitely a lot of silencing happening, but okay. um You're right. Freedom of speech is possibly our greatest gift. It really is. And hey, listen, on this show, we're here to encourage the good uh, and the people with big hearts. And that's why we bring people like you on the show so that they they know that there's people that still stand for that and, and, and help other people bring that message forward. So I think it's a beautiful thing that you, you do what you do. And I, for one, am very honored to have you here on the show. And I'd like to bring you back. I, I, I just... Uh, 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 ordered your latest book. <laughs> it's going to be shipped over here. So in a few months, if you're game, let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. I love that book. Awesome. That would be fun. Awesome. 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 So listen, we, we like to, um, we like to share with our audience uh, a few things before we end off uh, our episode. And one of them is we want to talk about some of the books that you have. So let's talk about a bit about your latest book so that our audience can find out about it and they can order it too. I mean, I just ordered a copy, but I'd love to get a whole bunch of my listeners to order some as well. Yeah. 
That's great. Thank you. Um, my latest body of work is called uh, Data Story. And, and what I did is I pulled out a couple thousand slides that had data on it. And I, I liked that I pulled slides because I could look at what chart was chosen, but what parts of speech, what other words were put on the slide to help explain that piece of data. So I literally pulled out the parts of speech. I pulled out all the verbs, all the adjectives, all the adverbs, and and found patterns. And basically in that book, uh, you will learn how to shape your findings. So when you go into data, you find a problem or an opportunity. There's a problem or an opportunity. It's kind of binary. Oh, I looked through the data. Here's a problem or here's an opportunity. Once you find the problem or opportunity in the data, you have a communication problem. Now you need to communicate to everyone what to do about the problem, or what to do about the opportunity you found. And so by shaping your recommendation in the shape of a story helps it get tractions and it'll traction. It helps you make decisions quicker. And then the interesting thing about the parts of speech with the verb is there were two kinds of verbs. There were performance verbs and process verbs. And if you're approaching the C-suite with anything, uh, there's actually certain types of verbs you would use so that it gets their attention because it taps into how they're measured. Um, So that's a long, that's a long narrative about the book. But um, for me, it was just like, jaw-droppingly awesome to write this book and find in our own work for these high-performing brands a lot of answers that are going to help a lot of other people. That's awesome. I love it. So, folks. It's fun to write. uh, Yeah, it sounds like a fun book. I'm looking forward to reading it. So, listener, Nancy Duarte is the real deal. She writes amazing books and she changes lives with what she does. She is a true thought leader. So I highly recommend that you buy her book, Data Story, okay? And that you buy some of her other books, you know, buy Resonate, buy Slideology, you know, buy the book she wrote for uh, Harvard Business Review, uh, which is called Persuasive Presentations, right? You got to do it because you're going to learn a ton from this listener. Make sure that you grab copies of this book for yourself and, you know, order four or five copies. Give them away as gifts to your friends. You know, you want to you want to physically distance, you can send them through Amazon or if you're in Canada through Indigo Chapters. But make sure you take advantage of Nancy Duarte and her genius because it's going to help you be a better business person. It's going to help you be more successful in what you do and it's going to help you be a better communicator. So, Nancy, we like to end off each and every single one of our episodes by asking you, as our guest expert, what are your top three expert action steps, i.e. your best pieces of advice that you recommend my listener take on in his or her life to take his or her life or his or her business to the next level? What do you say? Oh, well, in three tippy ways to live your life, <laughs> I would say um, one of them would be empathy first. I think we're very self-centric. And so anything you can do to be other centric when you communicate is important. I would say you need to be a lifelong learner. And the other thing I would say is you need to develop a prophetic imagination, like the ability, which is kind of a borrowed term for Walt, from Walter Bruggerman, but the ability to anticipate something different from the status quo and make that thing come true is what I think every entrepreneur is called to do. And so I think that would be the third thing. Those are three excellent expert action steps. Thank you. I love that. Well, thank you. So thank you. you're so welcome. So listener, Nancy Duarte 
is a true heart leader. She is one of the leading global thought leaders in the area of communication. And she has shared some of her amazing wisdom with us. And you're listening to the show and you might be thinking to yourself, hey, can I find my voice the way Nancy's found her voice? Can I go out there and make a difference for people? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes, you can. And here's my advice to you. In addition to buying her incredible books, what I want you to do is I want you to go to my website, ecircleacademy.com forward slash TLJ book. I have a book I've written, and this is the Kindle version of the book. And you can download it for free by going to that URL. So go ahead and take advantage of that book because I want you to have that right now. Secondly, go to that same website, ecircleacademy.com, and there's a button in the top right-hand corner which says book a success call, right? And if you feel right now that you could use some help, go book that success call. It's absolutely free. Now, you got to go through an application process. So you got to have an actual business and you got to have a desire to take it to the next level and all that good stuff. But as long as you get through all that, you will have a, a complimentary call with myself or a member of my team. And then thirdly, go to the middle of that same page on that website and click watch free masterclass. And there's a free masterclass that I have over there where I take an hour to give you five powerful secrets that will help you take your business from where it is right now to the next level. And it's absolutely free. So go ahead and take advantage of that. Make sure that you take advantage of these three things because they're gonna help you take your life and take your business to the next level. Nancy, thank you so much for being here on the show. It's been a real honor to have you here. God bless you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, you too. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. And that wraps up another exciting edition of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest and to find out about her amazing books and where you can order them, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes. And until next time, Goodbye.